start off our conversation. We're going to start off with one of the more contentious, contentious topics. Gender-neutral Spanish. How do you feel about it? Um, yeah, I use uh, gender-neutral language in Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the Same. E, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there was also, like, the X being used, um, but I know E um, is more commonly used in Latin America and just, yeah. like, countries where Spanish is used. Yeah. Um, yeah, and is often... Um, Gender neutral language is often added as community agreements in spaces that I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I use it as well. I, I've always had the understanding that people use, uh, the E when speaking, but when writing, they would, that you can use the X. Yeah. Um, because the X is understood as like a universal, uh, use. Um, but, um, yeah, I, when I first heard about it, it seemed like it was like the issue that I always have about it is that how people talk about it, how people introduce it or how people just assume what it is. Because one thing I always hear online is that people say, Ooh, it's, it's the English, it's the English speakers, it's the, um, the, uh, the, the the Chicanos, the Chicanos, they're, they're coming here and they're coming and they're just learning the, the Spanish and the language and they're changing their language that is completely separated from from actual Spanish speakers. Like, like it's it seems like people have like a very um reactionary understanding of what the language is or what it's proposing. And, um, yeah, um. How do you feel about, like, how people talk about it in general? Yeah, I always feel like, uh, maybe they just feel like there's cisgenderness being threatened. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. um, feel like, you know, queer and trans people have been feeling for a long time, uh-huh. like, not prioritized. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not included. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I oh. noticed... When, because like recently I went to, um, Southern Mexico for the first time. Um, and over there, like, I'm from the northern part of Mexico, from Chihuahua. So it's much more conservative. Um, much more, you know, um, they don't, they're, they're not open to, to, um, change as much as the South. And, but, like, I just saw a lot of people using it in the South. And I saw people, like, posting flyers, posting billboards with it. And I was like, that's that's a very different change from the sentiment from what I'm typically exposed to. Yeah. Um, I have, um, um, you know... People, uh, I know that some people just, like, don't understand, um, how expansive gender is, mm-hmm. and I think that in a lot of, like, areas where there's predominantly, like, indigenous people that, um, 
I think there's more understanding of gender expansiveness. Um, you know, I don't get hurt, um, depending on who and like what the intention is if they don't use gender inclusive language. Um, you know, having the understanding comes with, you know, certain privilege. Um, yeah. I think especially here in the U.S. Yeah. And, um, but it's definitely like a good opportunity to, um, start conversation on gender and, um, yeah, being inclusive of genders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just be more like, I'd say much more critical of like things that people interject with because like um it's kind of dumb to just say that that language is static and it doesn't change mm-hmm. and also like people say that that people from the US are colonizing Spanish which is ridiculous um, because Spanish is a colonial language. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, um, regardless of that, of that, of that dumb talking point that I see online a lot, um, it's definitely needed. It's definitely has to be a discussion that people talk about. And, um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's also beautiful to see in action because aside from just the language, right? Like, um, the spaces that that tend to use it are also like spaces that are currently, um, you know, constantly uh, putting women and queer trans folks uh, in the front lines, and um, yeah. Hello everybody, what's good y'all? Um, this is the Heat Wave, I'm Chewy, I go by he, him, and thank you for listening. I have here a special episode, um, I have a special guest with me right here, um, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, what's up, this is Sandra Cornejo, I use she, they pronouns, and I'm excited to be here. Awesome, awesome, it's I'm very glad that you're here. Thank you. Today, we're basically going to be talking about organizing in general here in the Valley, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, this um, is kind of a, a topic that I've been thinking about for a couple months because, like, um, organizing here is a little bit, uh, a little bit challenging sometimes. Well, that's kind of understanding. Organizing in general is just really hard. So, um, uh, I wanted to see here, see you, see what you, um, what experience you have because I know you've been part of a couple organizations throughout the years and you've <laughs> seen the changes throughout your, your time being a, an organizer. 
Um, so yeah, um, how would you want to start up like saying like your whole timeline as an organizer? Hmm, whole timeline as an organizer. Okay, let me think. Um, yeah, I feel like being poor is just like you're yeah. constantly organizing. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then, um, but I would say that, um, by the time I got to high school, like I definitely started, um, becoming more involved, um, in just community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, after my dad was deported, um, he then was applied for asylum and, um, spent a year in detention. And so, um, yeah, when he, the last time he was deported, um, I think that was kind of like a wake up call for my family. Um, he had been deported multiple times before, but, um, that last time, um, was just extra hard. Um, and we wanted solutions. We wanted answers. You know, how do we get my dad back and permanently? Um, so we started seeking support and that led us to the first uh, organization that I became involved with. Um, at the time, uh, Puente was doing a lot of work um, supporting people in detention um, and just migrant rights. Um, and so that was like the first organization that I um, got involved with and then became part of Puente Vision, which was like a youth collective. Um, in our collective, we would... Um, yeah, just uh, support with videography and photography um, at different actions and um, make petitions and videos for families who had been experiencing family separation and would send those videos to, like, um, their immigration judge, right, um, to, like, support their case. Um, and then also through the time... Um, kind of at the same time when my dad was in detention, we got connected to Transfer Pueblo, um, which they were doing uh, similar work as Puente at the time, um, supporting migrant folks in detention um, and, you know, specifically trans and queer migrant folks um, and would offer my family rights to go visit my dad um, and... That's how I became um, connected to Transcur Pueblo. Uh, remained, you know, uh, more like a member at that point. I really wasn't like too involved with Transcur Pueblo, but I knew of the work that they were doing and how important it was at that time, um, and is still. <laughs> yeah. Um, then uh, when I get to college, um, I got introduced to Mecha. Yeah. And so I was <laughs> with Mecha for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, more like three. I my senior year just got really intense with work, but um, yeah, I was a machista during my college times uh, or my time at ASU, and then um, my senior year of college, I started um, organizing with Semillas Arizona, um, who um, started based uh, started as a collective. Um, from Puente at the time um, called Uno por Uno 
And so they noticed, uh, just like a membership group noticed that there needed, um, the support was needed in going to visit people at detention and, um, you know, following up with the families and, um, yeah, so Uno por Uno basically became Semillas Arizona after um, Puente's strategy changed and it just didn't really fit in with the goals of the Comité Uno por Uno at the time. Um, and today I am part of Transcorpolo as a contractor. Interesting. I, I, I did not know a lot about like the, the story of like these organizations, because I remember when Semillas was first emerging, and and I I wasn't I wasn't sure about like what what created it, but that definitely makes sense now from its its separation from Puente and how Puente has like changed through the years recently. Um, but that's that's a topic we don't need to talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for, for giving a good timeline, um, a solid timeline. Um, it definitely, um, makes sense. And I would definitely agree with your initial point, like you said, like, ever since you, <laughs> you grew up poor, you, you've been organizing. And I, I definitely feel that. So I, um, yeah, I commend your, the, the work that you've done with all these organizations because it's definitely like, it's definitely hard to become part of an organization initially for some people because like, um, you can say a lot of things that you face here in America, they try to individualize you, try to, make you feel like you're nothing so getting um the just getting the the, the, the courage to join one organization but like you join like a bunch of organizations <laughs> throughout the year so um yeah that's definitely awesome um from each organization that you've been part of obviously it's been in different stages of your life but um how would you feel like um Throughout those years that you've been part of these spaces, how have they changed? How have they evolved? Um, and has that evolution been for the good or for for the worse? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, from the beginning when I started organizing and now, um, a lot of aspects have shifted when it comes to organizing. Um, I do think that, um, you know, there's organizations that are very grassroots, um, and really like building, um, momentum with, uh, you know, by people power. Um, but I also do think that, um, a lot of it has... You know, and I don't think that, I think for a while it's been just very, uh, uh, what's the word, um, 
election-based, electoral-based in Arizona um, for so long. It's, you know, been a red state and, like, people getting hope on presidents and um, elected politicians. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, we've seen, right, like, so many community members um, who are really great fucking organizers run for office. Um, mm-hmm. and or start engaging with all these political campaigns that, you know, it really feels like we're losing community members. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sucks to see, sucks to lose that, um, organizer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, community organizer. Um, but I do think that there is, uh, organizations that really are grassroots um and base building out here Mm -hmm. and um you know creating community-based solutions and whatnot um but um yeah 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 we don't need to talk about um that person (laughs) (laughs) Um, i can think of five (laughs) Um, what would you say are like the the biggest lessons that you've learned throughout like each phase? Yeah, I think don't join an org just to join an org. Yeah. Um, it's really easy to get sucked into an organization, um, that perhaps like doesn't even have a a structure that you align with. Um, yeah, so be critical of the organization that you're thinking of joining um, for sure has been a lesson. Um, You know, what's their accountability process look like to who are they, are they accountable? Um, Their structure, as I've mentioned and their vision uh, for the future. Um, You know, when, if, I had known of like long-term strategy for some of the orgs that I've been a part of. Like I would have known it wasn't for me mm-hmm. um, and would not have, you know, spent so much energy and labor um, being part of that organization. Yeah. yeah. Out of, out of all the things that, you've done like throughout the years um um what would you say is like your proudest moment in organizing like um like you'll never forget that yeah i think it was probably when um i think seeing semillas uh, become an organization um, was really fucking exciting and just felt like such an accomplishment to have like migrant people you know from the barrio like organizing themselves um, with you know no resources and those like meetings at the park with five dollar pizzas from you know little caesars like I think that was, like, a big accomplishment. Um, My parents, my brother, like, um, are involved with Semillas, and it's been 
really beautiful to, you know, see my family um, be so dedicated to the movement and want to, yeah, uh, organize. Yeah, I do have other things I wanted to share as, like, part of accomplishments. Sure. Um, Just because, um, well, as I mentioned, you know, like, I... Am organizing with Transcore Pueblo and um, definitely like a big accomplishment, um, not just for Transcore Pueblo but also like for the entire Phoenix community. Yeah, um, has been the leadership development that I've seen within Transcore Pueblo. Um, you know, having hundreds of LGBTQ plus migrant people. Um, ready to throw down and support um has made me feel so proud mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know uh there's a clinic that was started um under transcore pueblo that supports um, over 150 patients um there's a campaign to end manifestation law which criminalizes uh black and brown sex workers um and this whole campaign is led by sex workers. Um, there's a project, uh, Familias, which is, um, families in English. Um, and it's led by moms of queer and trans kids. And they've really connected, um, the patriarchy to, you know, being a mother and their experiences. Um, to the way that the patriarchy also affects their queer and trans kids. And so seeing that be brought into like the community. Um, and then also as migrant community, um, reflecting on why we migrate in the first place and how that ties to US imperialism um, is a huge accomplishment. Wow. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that, that TPP did that. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's so funny because, like, I was reflecting on all these orgs that I've been a part of, and in every single org, like, it really has been so beautiful to, to be in a space uh where it's, you know, uh, in Mecha, for example, like the queer caucuses at the national conferences and whatnot, like I was so ready every year, as so and so all the other queer and trans folks who were a part of those caucuses, but we were organizing like the shit, <laughs> you know, out of those, like in those caucuses. And so, um, yeah, I'm just proud. <laughs> what would you, just to speak more on like on the uh, the present present moment that we're having what would you say is like the biggest obstacle obstacle that organizing has in the valley because um i i would perceive that a lot of these organizations here in the valley are pretty young they're pretty new we're in the in the relative sense um, what would, what would you, um, feel, what would you think are like the biggest obstacles and 
does does the infancy of these spaces have to do a lot with that, or is it something else? A uh, setback that I can think of um, that also, I guess, relates to orgs um, who are newer mm-hmm. um, is really dedicating the time to come up with like community-based solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I have come to notice is like orgs who really work um, with the community that they're serving um, and hear them out and like confront the problems at hand. Um, a lot of orgs um, want to do what previous orgs have tried um, to do and um, have failed. And so learning from one another um, and uh, working off of the necessities of the community um, is like a potential solution, right? Um, yes, like it takes a lot longer um, patience and like building trust with people. Um, but yeah, like finding solution based on like the necessities of your community, um, is like a good way to, um, yeah, like move forward. There's another thing that is like an obstacle. State surveillance. Oh yeah. In Arizona. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> forgot about that <laughs> um, yeah that makes it pretty hard <laughs> yeah yeah um definitely that is that's that's a huge obstacle it's fucking crazy <laughs> it's fucking crazy yo we're struggling in arizona um yeah i don't know phoenix police just got like a shit ton of money yeah. from the city yeah yeah and same, same with Tempe, and I wouldn't. Same with Tempe. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if, like, and every other department is like getting extra money from local and federal. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it gets me thinking to. Uh, just reminds me of like how, like potentially another setback, right? Could be that. Um, I think just, like, the lack of understanding as to, like, the structures that really, like, are oppressing us and the ways that they work to keep um, everyone down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, the marches, right, after Roe versus Wade was overturned and how many people showed up to the Capitol to protest, but... Also, I didn't see people coming out, uh, you know, to um, fight against the money that was being given to the these police departments, who are the same departments that are going to fucking reinforce all of these laws yeah. that criminalize abortion. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's unfortunate. What do you think of the future of, like, organizing here in Phoenix? Or, or considering, like, what do you think, what do you, what do you expect from the future of, like, Phoenix? Yeah. Because, like, this is something that I dwell upon, like, a lot. I dwell upon on this part a lot. Um, 
But um, yeah, what do you expect from like the immediate future of like these spaces in Phoenix? And you can this can be like Arizona as a whole. Um, yeah, um, you know, just thinking of um, the state um, continuing to get a higher population and water running out. Um, I really do have to say that, like, as a state, we really need to contemplate uh, about priorities. And, you know, I think that um, environmental work uh, is like a all hands on. Um for the immediate future, um, you know, and land back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, for the immediate future. Yeah. I, thinking about just the future and what it holds, it can either be very promising or be very scary. Um, because, obviously, it did lot big change is going to happen big change as a whole in the united states is going to happen so um like just anticipating and seeing like what will that be what will that big change ha- be yeah um, it's it's scary to imagine um thinking about the water here like it seems like <laughs> it's getting worse and worse every day in some senses like Analyzing like the water levels in the Colorado River that keeps receding, 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 receding. Right. Um, yeah, and then didn't uh, the core just rolled against um, Oak Flat? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And so that's going to really, really affect um, all of Phoenix. Yeah. All of Phoenix. Yeah, it's not looking good. Um, like Phoenix, it's the city. It's not looking good. <laughs> um, organizing, I'm not sure. It's like, it's definitely hard to analyze it because, um, something could happen that causes a major shift like 2020. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't see like, um, monkeypox being the next COVID, but, <laughs> um, who knows? Um, uh, I, there, there, there can be so much change in a society in such a little time. So I don't know how Phoenix will be, but from the trajectory that it's happening right now, um, it's a, it's promising, but it also is concerning. I don't know if you have something to elaborate to that. I think, like, just thinking about uh, Phoenix organizers and, like, how often I've run into people just feeling so um, depressed um, and tired. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just thinking of, um, yeah, just 
building momentum. And I think that, um, yeah, just the masses. Yeah. We're gonna ask, I'm going to ask the question. Um, I don't know if you're ready for it. <laughs> um, what do you feel is the next big step organizers must do in the Valley? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think like in uh, relating to myself, um, I think um, like, uh, you know, in my community, um, understanding gender binary um, as a tool uh, that really reinforces capitalism and um, just connecting that um, is a step. Um, but as a movement, I definitely think like base building uh, and building politization and trust um, is what we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like your first point is very, um, very necessary because I feel like, um, one thing that prevents people from organizing is having just these, these very bad ideas of, of gender, um, um, that prevent them from, like, that kind of make people, um, have this very reactionary understanding of what is gender and how it implicates in the day-to-day life. So people obviously have this this understanding of organizers being very just disconnected from like what is actually happening, but um, promoting just the education of of of. Um, of gender in society can help deconstruct that 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 um that prejudice that people have and and open up people to the idea that that these are very much present issues that that unfortunately people sometimes don't recognize because of religion and their in their background but um yeah and that and and that aspect is very necessary for base building because um, um, yeah, it's, it genders in every aspect of our lives, and um, the world where we will run into people that have those very um, toxic understandings, and um, people must be ready to confront that and, and address that, those concerns. Um, yeah. I, I guess, like, on the question of, like, base building, how should base building be done? Mm. That's, that's like, a question that could be, like, answered in hours um, yeah. or analyzed for hours because, like, um, it's not a simple question. Right. Um, like, for me, I've always thought, like, a good way of 
of doing base building is like coalescing with other organizations. But the problem with coalitions is that one, what does a coalition implicate? Two, um, how much time should be dedicated to it? And three, like how compromising should it be? Mm-hmm. Compromising in the sense like how much of of people's times should be dedicated to a coalition rather than their organization right. that they're already part of. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, those are just some thoughts that I have in mind. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. Um, I think base building can look like, you know, um, there's a role for everyone. Mm-hmm. And we have to be prepared to take on that role when time comes. Um, I guess to wrap up the discussion, I have one question. And I guess this is like the easiest question you could answer. What would you say to someone that's interested in organizing but hasn't committed yet? Because of either they're afraid or they're, they're like... They they just they're just uncertain about like the responsibility of it. Yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of ways to organize, and it doesn't have to look like you hopping on um, as a member for an organization. Um, I would say like, what do you spend the most time doing, and like, how can you use that to organize? Right, I've heard of people organizing. In their church, I've, uh, people, you know, organizing at the bar, <laughs> people using Tinder to organize. Like, there are so many different ways. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you are thinking of committing to an organization, then I would say, like, take the time to prepare for that because it is very much like a learning process and an unlearning, right, of uh, having to make decisions as a group. Um, yeah. it is outside of just you as an individual. Um, uh, thank you for being here. Um, it was good, good discussion. Um, but anyways, to plug in, um, do you, do you have any shout outs to say to any organizations before I give the outro? Yeah. Um, shout out to... <laughs> Um, Semillas Arizona. Um, you can find them on Instagram as Semillas AZ. Plug in. And then also shout out to Transqueer Pueblo. Um, you can find us on Instagram as TQ Pueblo. We're out here. We have cool events. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to the show notes so people can check it out if you're if you're interested. But yeah, um, just to wrap up this episode, um, if if this is your first time listening and you want to learn more about Mecha, we have a community garden, the Vilma Espin Community Garden. Uh, we hold events every Saturday at 5 p.m. Well, 5 p.m. 6 p.m. Uh, just hit us up. Um, and we'll give you the most, the most recent information 
Um, our handles at MetroASU at, at, um, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can check that Instagram to find out more information about our organization. Um, if you want, uh, any updates on the podcast specifically, you can follow us at THW Pod. And yeah, that's all, everybody. Show continues. Venceremos.